Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Such a beautiful job. Thank you, guys. Uh, Before we get going this morning, we've got a major mission project launching tomorrow in Honduras, and I just thought it would be so appropriate if we would just take some time, kind of let you know what they're doing. Tomorrow, a group is leaving. It's actually in three phases. Tomorrow, the first group goes, and they begin to lay the foundation for a church building in Honduras. And then after about a week, the second team is going to show up, and they're going to continue the construction. And then there'll be a week break, August 2nd. We have a group of women who are going, who are going to teach discipleship. But uh, in that first week, Joey and Stephen, our student pastor, are also going to be there, and they're going to be teaching the pastors the book of Ephesians for the first few days of that as well. So it's a lot, and it's a huge project. There's 33 people involved. I wanted to take a minute, read their names, and then if I can, have you guys come forward, and let's have a prayer for y'all. You know, before uh, Paul and Barnabas went out, they laid hands on them and they prayed, and I just think that would be... Very appropriate. So let me read the names. First team leaving tomorrow is Cody Breen, Thomas McCalla, Scott, and Scott, I can't say your last name. Scott, help me. Conan Zeka, Scott and Kelly, they're from Gilbert. They've got a coffee shop in Gilbert. Scott here. How do I say it, Scott? Huh? Hedgeka? Okay, I'm just going to trust you for that. <laughs> Close enough. Josh Miller, Wes Yarborough, Clint Dickens, Rob Johnson, Alan Katzenmeyer, Jonathan Gibbs, and Jonathan Halley, and then Joey Young. That's tomorrow. And then the second team leaving next week, Barry Marble, Will Marble, Jason Jernigan, Nolan Jernigan, Christian Trichel, uh, James Goldman, Caleb Yarborough, Bob Weber, David Tidwell, Jay Eldridge, and Adam McConnell. And then the women's team leaves on August the 2nd. That's Emily Weber. Evelyn Tidwell, Betsy Beard, Becky Flemister, Amanda Hinton, Valerie Barley, Cheryl Potts, Carla Knox, Wendy Dreger. Wendy's on staff, so you'd think I'd know her. Uh, Katie Phillips and Lori Young. Um, So if I could, would y'all come down and let's just have prayer over you this morning if you're a part of those ministry teams. Hey, and if any of you want to join us, if you want to come forward and lay hands, feel free to come. Any of you guys want to pray over these teams, y'all kind of gather up close right in here and we'll, we'll lay hands and, and pray. Come on in, Cheryl. See, they, none of them knew they were going to do this today, so they're, they're uh, uh, going to have words with me later. Y'all come in where we can get close because we want to lay hands and pray on everybody. First of all, on behalf of the church, let me say thank you so much for giving up your weeks, many of you vacation weeks, time, energy. Uh, We're so grateful for you being involved. You know, North Monroe, through Joey Young's leadership, is involved in 14 different nations this year. And so Honduras is on our heart. Heavenly Father, 
We are so grateful that you have selected these to go out and be a part of this important mission to build a church, to train pastors, to disciple people um, so that the church would be established to reach their community. We know that it's really their calling to reach their community. So we want to equip them to do that. And I pray for your protection because the minute folks go on mission, um, the enemy takes notice and he begins to get involved back home and their families. And I pray for their families that they would be protected while they're gone. I pray, Heavenly Father, for strength to do it, that you'd keep them healthy and safe. And Father, that you would give them the greatest joy they've ever known in just serving you together. You'd build bonds of community that would last a lifetime. And we thank you for Jesus allowing us to do these things. In Christ's name, amen. Bless you guys. Thanks for coming. I'll get it right someday. <laughs> Let's get our Bibles and go to John chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 22 through 26 this morning as I walk back up. John chapter 3 starts with that extremely important conversation with Nicodemus, the Pharisee. And it includes ideas like you must be born again. Um, it includes ideas like John 3.16, that great verse. And Jesus, through that, teaches a lot about himself. So the point of John 23, 22 through 20 through 36 is... Uh, the idea of the second witness. Um, it really started in Deuteronomy chapter 17, chapter 19. The idea flowing out of the Old Testament was before anyone could say anything about anybody, there always had to be a second or even better, a third witness. And so that, that keeps the gossip down. Like, And it's a great principle. I'm not going to say anything about you unless somebody else is there to verify it and back it up, Right. Well, that eventually changed. That idea is not only in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament as well. And it eventually changed to if anyone purports to speak on behalf of God, he needs a second or a third witness. And we see this in the New Testament as well. I think uh, Paul confirms it in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. And so while Jesus has said some things about himself, that he comes from heaven, that God so loved the world and all these things, what you see in 22 through 36 is a reiteration of this from John the Baptist. So we've left Nicodemus, we've gone back to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is serving as the second witness, which was his calling in Christ. But there's more to it than just that, because in the process of Jesus the Messiah being elevated, John the Baptist is finding himself increasingly less significant. And yet, despite that, there is this beautiful humility in him that demonstrates not the least ounce of envy, which for me becomes a, a very powerful and in play idea because our culture is so really defined by envy in so many ways. I was talking to a young guy the other day, and I said, what is it that this generation, this Gen Z generation is after? What are they really after? And he said, influence. He said they're after likes. And what they want more than anything else is to be an influencer, which means translated famous in some way. And, and they even have an expression for those who would 
take away the spotlight. It's so much about being in the spotlight that if you take away their spotlight, you're throwing shade. First time I ever heard that, I thought throwing shade was a good idea because I like to sit in the shade. But apparently in this generation, being in the shade is a bad thing. Well, Jesus' ascendance was throwing shade on John the Baptist. And then in verse 30, he makes this incredible statement. He says, he must increase, I must decrease. And all of a sudden, I look at this and I go, you know what? There's something very powerful here that we dare not skip over. Something very powerful that we need in this generation of existential narcissism. We need to come to that point ourselves. So how do we do it? Well, I want to lift out of this some ideas that will give us a cure for envy because John was complete and utterly free of envy. And so let's see what he says. Verse 22, then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem. So this is after the conversation with Nicodemus. They left Jerusalem and they went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. So John's ministry is still in play, right? This was before John was thrown into prison. That's an aside in verse 24. A debate broke out between John's disciples and certain Jews over ceremonial cleansing. If you were here or you heard, uh, the Jews baptized too, but their baptism was always for purification. It was for cleansing. It was to prepare for some festival or it was to uh, purify themselves if they'd been unclean in some way. And so that's kind of the ministry of John. It's Old Testament idea. Uh, he's calling people to repentance. He's calling people to purification, right? And so there's some argument about that. And then the process of that argument, the baptism of Jesus must have surely come up. We don't get the words there, but something happened and all of a sudden they're talking about Jesus and the fact that everybody's going to Jesus. So verse 26, so John's disciples came to him, that is John, and said, Rabbi, the man you, uh, you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identify as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And, and notice this part, and I put it in all caps so you would see it. And everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. The whole world is beginning to go to Jesus. And if you skip forward in, in uh, John chapter 4, verse 1, you see that uh, Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. So here's John. He's the biggest name in religion since the prophet Malachi. It's been hundreds of years since there's been a prophetic voice. And John is that embodiment of the Old Testament prophet come back. He's wearing camel skins and he's eating locusts and bugs and he's subsisting and he's calling people to those hard truths of repentance. And the whole world is coming to him. And fame is, is everywhere and every, everybody's talking about John the Baptist this and John the Baptist that. John said this and John said that. Until Jesus came along. And when Jesus came along, the spotlight suddenly shifted and John found himself in that most unenviable place of modern culture, the shade. He was in the shade, right? How would he respond? Let me ask you, how do you respond when someone else does better than you? How do you deal with that? 
I mean, in our, in our world today, you've got social media, and you look at social media, and you see all these bright and shiny, happy faces, and you look at your own life, and it's just hard, and at times miserable, and there's a struggle, and it's like, why do they have it so well, and I have it so bad? Or maybe you're at work, and somebody else gets that promotion over you, and you know, even worse, maybe they weren't as good as you, or they weren't as qualified as you, but they knew a friend who had a friend who knew a friend who knew somebody, and the next thing you know, they're there, and you're here. How do you deal with that? Do you get resentful? Do you get angry? Are you envious? Do you fight to get the spotlight back on yourself? You know, John did none of those things. Instead, he elevated the one that replaced him. And to me, that's the story here. Because if he could do that, then I can do it. And so what is it that John did that I need to do? And I think the first idea is this, to cure envy, I have to serve a higher purpose. You know, John 1 describes the purpose of John the Baptist. John 1 verse 8, it says, John himself was not the light, he was simply a witness. And that was John's calling. He was to be a witness to Jesus. And he never for once, not for a second, ever moved off of that. It would be so hard when you are the man. You're John, everybody's coming to you, but you're just called to be the witness, but it's hard not to begin to think that you are the man too, you know? But he never moved from that. Here's why purpose is so important. Because it reminds me that we're all unique. It reminds me that God has a unique purpose for me and he has a unique purpose for you as well. And what God is doing with you has no bearing on what he wants to do with me. You see, that's the problem with envy. It is at its core comparative, right? And that comparison creates competition. But when I remember my purpose, that God's purpose with me has nothing to do with what his purpose is with you. Um, and John never forgot that. Look at verse 27. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. And what he means by that is in God's unique plan for everyone, he gifts us for his plan. And so what God is doing with you, he's going to gift you. What, somebody said, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called, right? And so every one of you is better than me in some way because God has equipped you to do what he has called and designed you to do. And I could either be envious of what he's doing in your life or I could look at what his purpose is for my life and I could say, well, God is equipping me too because everything I have is from him, right? None of us got here on our own. The, the talents... The spiritual gifts, the life experiences, all of that was designed. Even my salvation is a pure gift from God. There was nothing I could do that would earn it. In fact, even God opening my eyes to the need for the gospel through the influence of the Holy Spirit, what theologians call prevenient grace, I would not know if I hadn't been drawn to it. From the, from the get-go. So even that is from the Lord. One guy said this. He said, uh, uh, if you see a turtle on a fence post, you know one thing. He didn't get there on his own. And every one of us, in some way, is a turtle on a fence post, right? He gives me the gifts I need for his purpose. He gives you the gifts you need for your purpose. So stop comparing. And that's the second important principle here. Stop comparing yourself. Focus on what God's plan is for you. 
never veer from his purpose for you, and then stop comparing yourself because envy is comparative, right? You compare yourself with someone else and you either feel like you're better than them or you're less than them or something like that. But every one of us has a different role to play. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning, and here it is, and you can underline this part. Do not think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. You're not the star of this production. Jesus is. You play your part and your job and your calling is to make Jesus look good. At the same time, he says, but evaluate yourself properly. In other words, you're not putting yourself down either, right? Be honest with your evaluation. False humility is worse than no humility. The only thing worse than no humility is false humility because you can see right through it and you know it's just an act and you don't want to be around that guy, right? Phil Yancey said, true humility isn't thinking less of yourself. True humility is thinking of yourself less. And that's where we're called to be. Keep reading Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function. You have your purpose, I have my purpose. And when I see God using you for your purpose, I can celebrate with you because I know that collectively we're accomplishing the will of God in this generation. Are you feeling it? Or are you walking away? It's like a football team, right? You have all different roles to play on a football team. And what's interesting is each of those guys is designed to fulfill that role. If you're 6'5 and 325, you're probably not a running back. You're probably a lineman. And when the lineman does his job and he makes that block and he springs the running back and the running back breaks through the line, runs for a touchdown, and everyone's celebrating in the end zone, what are the linemen doing? Are they going, well, that's just great. That guy gets all the applause. Nobody ever thinks about the lineman. What's the lineman doing? That big old hulk of a guy is running down the field like, you know, the incredible hulk to get to the end zone to pick the guy up and carry the running back off the field. He's celebrating too. Why? Because it's not about you. It's not about your individual stuff. The team just won. The team just scored. And that's how God's called us to play this game. And everything about John was dedicated to something greater than John. This is the key. I don't know how many times I have to say it. Look at verse 28. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. This is John the Baptist talking. I'm only here to prepare the way for him, right? It's the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. You know, there's this beautiful verse, and I say it all the time. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And in my life experience as a pastor, it seems to me that there are a lot more people who are able to weep with those who weep than to rejoice with those who rejoice. Because somehow, because of our envy and our comparisons, your victory in some way makes me feel like a failure. And you don't see that anywhere in John. Stop comparing. God's got his plan for you. He's got his plan for them. If you must compare, compare yourself to Jesus. And that'll be a game changer. 
It's so hard, though, you know, because we get caught up in this world. You know, I was watching my grandson play Little League Baseball, Coach Pitch. And I've been around Little League Baseball and all that kind of stuff long enough to know not to get caught up in it. You know, I had four boys, and they were nine years apart. So my first son started playing baseball when he was like six, and my last son comes along nine years later. He starts playing at six, and he goes all the way through college doing sports. And so I'm like the oldest person in the bleacher who's still a parent. They make me sit with the grandparents. You know what I'm saying? And I've seen it. That when you when you first set of kids come through, it's like... It's like live or die. Man, this thing is really, really important. But by the last one coming through, it's like, hey, good game, man. Let's go find some pizza, you know? And yet now I've got grandkids playing, and I'm back at square zero. It's coach pitch, and I find myself getting into it. So we're in one of these games, and it's like the semifinal of some tournament, which they're seven years old, and they're in a tournament. What's going on? And I'm sitting here, and, and you know, in my chair watching it, and it's important, so important. It's Little League, coach pitch. It's like the World Series. And uh, the other team's got this kid playing shortstop who is stinking unbelievable. I mean, the kid's covering the whole field. It's like a little Derek Jeter out there. I mean, he's, he's, he's cutting in front of the third baseman. He goes all the way to the second base. He is all world, this little kid. He's done everything except turn a, a solo double play, and I was expecting that to happen at any minute. He'd feel the ball, backhanded, jump up, gun him down at first. He's killing our offense. He was so good. I looked at the guy next to me. I said, I hate that kid. <laughs> I was just kidding. Maybe. <laughs> he was so good. You know, it's hard to rejoice when the other guy's just better than you. And it's really hard when you think you're better than them. But you know, if your goal is to lift up Jesus, does Little League really matter? Does, does any of this stuff matter? Look at verse 30. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less. And that's new living. New American Standard is way better. It just says, I, he must increase, I must decrease. And when, when Jesus is your focus, that's your only reply. I only care about what makes Jesus increase. If that means me winning, if that means you winning, if that means me losing, whatever it means, I'm good with that. Why? Because Jesus is supreme. And John says a couple of things to sort of elevate Christ and demonstrate the supremacy of Christ. First, he says he's seen what, we've, what I've never seen. Verse 31, he has come from above and is greater than anything else. We're of the earth. And we speak of earthly things, but he's come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. Think about that. Jesus is the only one to ever come from heaven and describe what it's like. He testifies about what he's seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true. Jesus was the only one that had been there, and now he's come and he's telling us about it. And if you're wise, you'll stop and listen to his words, but it's so hard because he's telling us such strange things, right? Any of you guys ever been to uh, the Grand Canyon? Who's been to the Grand Canyon? You, you try to tell your friends when you come home what it's like. And, and you, you use all your words. Man, it's huge. Man, it's so big. Man, it's vast. 
Man, it's awesome. Man, it's impressive. It's incredible. It's amazing. But none of that conveys what the Grand Canyon is like. And so what you finally do is you say, you got to go there. Someday you got to go there. Because the Grand Canyon is so vast that when you stand on one side of it, it messes with your head. It messes with your perceptions. It's like 10 miles across and you can kind of see the other side and it's freaking you out because it just, it's just too big to describe. You got to go there. And here's Jesus trying to tell us about heaven. He's the only one that's ever been there. He knows what we'll never know. And then secondly, I mean, he, he says what I'll never, he, he's seen what I've never seen and he knows what I'll never know. Verse 32, he testifies about what he's seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. I mean, you go back to the beginning, what he's seen and heard. Go back to the beginning of the gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things came into being by Him. Apart from Him, nothing came into being which is coming to be. He was preexistent, co-creator. He was here at the very beginning. And you compare that to yourself and how briefly we've been here, and you begin to get your head around the supremacy of Christ and what He knows. You know, I saw this thing, and uh, they tell us that the earth is four and a half billion years old. And I know some people are like, well, God created it in six days. And that, that's 100% true. They're completely true. God created it in six days. I just always go, well, you know, what's a day? Because, you know, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around what a day is when you're talking about God. Because a day is just uh, the time it takes for an astrological body to spin one time. So if you're on the earth, then a day was 24 hours. But if you're on the edge of the Milky Way, it's 225 million years. Um, and God created everything so my question is, where was he standing when he made it? Because you can't stand on what you're making. Like if I'm building a sandcastle, I can't stand on the sandcastle. i got to stand outside the sandcastle. And if he's creating time and space, then what is time and space wherever you are? You see your head starting to smoke a little bit. And, and so it's like the Bible says a day is as a thousand years. So I don't get it. So I don't argue with them. Uh, 4.5 billion sounds about right. I have no idea. People are like, well, I think he did it in six 24-hour days. I'm like, fine. I don't, know, I don't understand that either. Uh, but, but this vast amount of time on the earth, the archaeologists and all those guys will say four and a half billion years. And one guy said, if you took that four and a half billion and you converted it into distance, because time is really a measurement of distance, and you put it on a football field, then every inch is 1.3 million years. So here's the, here's the mind-blowing thing. They say that the first mammals and dinosaurs appeared at the 95-yard point, at the five-yard line from the goal line, 95 yards back there. That's when the first mammals and reptiles appeared. The T-Rex showed up and started chomping on people or things, started chomping on things at the one-and-a-half-yard line. Do you know when people showed up? At the one-eighth inch line. That's when people showed up. In other words, all the people that have ever lived, according to this, they, they may be wrong, I don't know. But according to this, all the people that ever lived, lived in the last eighth inch of our, of our football field. That means King Tut and all those guys all the way down to us. They, we're, living, we're living on the edge of the goal line right now. Eighth of an inch. So how long do you think you've lived? Can we put my lifespan on that 
on that football field, you would need a magnifying glass. You would need a microscope. Because you can get, some people get 30 years, some people get 50 years, some people get 80 years, some people get 100 years. The fact of the matter is, in the scope of time and eternity, it's like the, it's like the blink of a shutter speed, right? That's all we got. We live in this brief snapshot of time, the blink of a shutter speed. No wonder the Bible compares it to a vapor or a mist. So here's, here's what I'm saying. If that's true, then why do you think you're so important? Especially in comparison to Jesus. He's been here the whole time. He's seen it all. He made it all. Think he knows a thing or two that we don't know? You see, if you're going to compare yourself, compare yourself to Jesus. How's that going to work out for you? Why do we think we're so important? You know, you're going to be forgotten in four generations, maybe five. My sons do not know anything about my grandfather. He died before they were born. Now, they know his name because his name's my middle name. They never heard him talk. They never saw him laugh. They don't have any idea what he values, what he believes in. They know nothing about my grandparents. He is completely forgotten to them except for a name on a genealogical chart. That's all they know about him. And that man, now think about it this way. My grandfather was the most important person, was the most important man in my father's life. And that means that my grandchildren, their children won't know me. Now, some of you are fortunate enough, you get to see your great-grandchildren. Some people live a long time. But even if you see your great-grandchildren, your great-grandchildren's children won't know you. So five generations, you're forgotten. Why do we think we're so important? You know, Jesus has been around forever. And he knows something we can barely understand. He knows truth. Verse 33, and anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true. And he shares that truth with us through the word and through the spirit. For he is sent by God. He speaks God's word. For God gives him the spirit without limit. And then he reiterates almost exactly verbatim, John 3, 16, 17. The father loves his son, has put everything in his hands. And anyone who believes in his son has eternal life. That's truth. And eternal life, it lasts a whole lot longer than the life you're in. So why don't you spend this life preparing for your eternal life? He says he'll grant you eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. When you really understand the majesty of Christ, is there really any room for any envy? You see, this is where John was, and this is why John said what he said. He must increase, I must decrease. When I understand God's purpose, and His purpose is unique for you and you and you, and it's different for me, and He gifts us for His purpose. And what He's doing with you has no bearing at all on me. And so I stop comparing, and I celebrate our diversity and our differences, and I say, we're a team, and if you score, we all win, but we're going to play our part. And if I do have to compare, let me compare myself with Jesus because that comparison will will make quick work of envy. Are you willing to do that? Can I ask you a simple question? 
Have you been struggling with envy and resentment? You know, this is a generation that is plagued by self-doubt, insecurity, depression, and anxiety. And a lot of it comes through comparisons and envy. You know, the envy is a sin. And God wants us to deal with our sin. Will you deal with your sin right now? Will you just in, in just this brief time say, hey, God, it's time for me to deal with this. And so, Father, help me to remember my purpose. Father, I purpose in my heart to stop making comparisons. And Father, if I do make comparisons, let them be with Jesus, who is supreme. Can we do that? And can we just ask the Holy Spirit to take this out of our lives and free us from it? Would you pray with me right now? Every head bowed, every eye closed as we just come before the Father. Heavenly Father, this is a generation that is marked by envy. And John the Baptist gave us the beautiful example of the cure. He knew his purpose. He never veered from that purpose. He never compared himself. And when he did look for a model to, to measure himself against, it was Jesus and when he saw the supremacy of Christ and the vastness of Christ and the knowledge of Christ and the eternity of Christ, he said what we have to say right now, you must increase and we must decrease. And so, Father, free us from these things. Liberate us from the tyranny of the temporary and give us an eternal perspective. I pray, Heavenly Father, for those right now who need to give their life fully over to Jesus to believe not only in Him but in the truth of His Word and to abide in that Word to be set free. God, let them be free right now. Just a simple prayer. Father, I just give my life to You best I know how. All that I understand about me, I deliver over to all that I understand about You. Forgive me of my sins and cleanse me. Would you say that prayer if you don't know Jesus? Father, thank you for the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we exalt in that right now. And the freedom that you give us in Christ's name, amen. Would you stand? Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.